This episode, you meet Charlie Williams, a 77 grad who started with the class of 76. Charlie ended up in uh, five groups, five squadrons, five Polaris yearbooks. What else did he tell me? <laughs> He's on his fourth career from uh, active duty Air Force to Delta pilot to high school teacher to uh, published author. Uh, because Charlie's got such a wide, varied, and interesting background, he gets a little more time than the uh, typical uh, story. I think you guys will like this. Charlie. Hey, John. It worked. What do you know? <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks, thanks for doing this. I really appreciate uh, getting a, a noted author into our uh, <laughs> people here. Yeah, right. Uh, noted. <laughs> Uh, well, I appreciate the opportunity to talk to you because uh, since you we talked about this, and I have been looking forward to it because it's just brought back so many, you know, memories. Oh, you didn't say and ideas. You didn't say nightmares, Charlie. Come on, the honor code still applies. It <laughs> doesn't anymore. <laughs> no, it has not brought back uh, nightmares. Uh, I had all those while I was writing this book on the academy. Uh, <laughs> oh my! That was that. Yeah, that was quite a uh, a cathartic thing to do, and I'm still not quite ready to publish it yet. But uh, yeah, I mean, I went through all kinds of uh, different emotional things before I kind of reached the place where I felt good about it. Well, well, so that brings me to my first question. I always like to ask, and that is, what what uh, general message do you have for the uh, incoming class, the current cadets, the recent grads, and the old old goats like us? Well, that's <laughs> that's kind of three different questions because we're all in three different places. But yeah, well, I mean one of one of the things about the military academies is that it's that's unique is that even though we all have our own lives and everything, and but cadets, graduates we've all been through so many of the same experiences, yeah. you know, with our classmates, other people have done the same thing. And, and, uh, but we've all had our different life experiences, but we've all had to survive, you know, basic training, life, whatever. And it's always fascinating to me to see that diversity that follows when, you know, where we were dispersed to the four winds, so many different things in the air force. And then, beyond that i mean who would have predicted that a distinguished you know grad with an amazing career become a major general would end up will not become end up but i mean would now be running a b&b &B with his wife in leavenworth washington state <laughs> well that's 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 the old uh the uh, was it the, the movie white christmas where the general after the war goes back and runs the place and uh, you know <laughs> yeah that, that's kind yeah. of that's kind of yeah. the old the old generals never die they just fade away right yeah, yeah. <laughs> or maybe another one becoming a missionary or yeah i know somebody else starting to how hosting a podcast well that <laughs> <laughs> This was a stumbling into a, a situation that I, I felt obligated to, to start up. So I'm glad you did. But <laughs> if there's something that I would say that's important to me is to, I guess, I've heard so many different things people already know and hear about, you know, go for your goals, do it if you want to. The most important thing to me is to maintain your integrity. Yeah. Whatever you do, wherever you go at the academy and 
and beyond because it doesn't originate there, but it certainly is nurtured there and can be manipulated there if you let it. And uh, I think it's a very important thing to consider as to what you're going to, what things you're going to allow to mold your thinking. Yeah. Interesting. I, I have a, uh, you know, this weird feeling that I have sometimes I think that people sometimes try to get to the very top of something without really considering, is this the best for everybody involved? I know it's the best for me because it's, you know, I get to be the top and it's my career. I get to be a squadron commander at the Academy or wherever, but it's a really difficult decision to make that one of those bigger sacrifices to say, am I the best person for this job? Will it, will it, yeah, I agree. uh, Yeah. Will it compromise my integrity? How many toes you got to step on for your own personal goals versus what's good for the whole group and are you the kind that rises above because of your merit or do you rise above because you stay level and try to keep everybody else down well everybody rose above me so i'm not that guy (laughs) so yes but think about that you know at 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 an academy versus so many other schools or you know you would not even be talking about that you know, because it was just the academy is just that much more difficult thing to do than so many other things. It's quite a uh, quite a competitive game. <laughs> yeah, to say the least. So, so that so you're talking about integrity starting before you got there. So, where did that tells me? Ask me that begs the question: Where did you grow up? Well, I grew up in a small uh, southeast Texas town on the Gulf Coast. Uh, called Port Natchez, and uh, it's right near the the city where at one time uh, some magazine or paper had said was the most polluted town in America <laughs> because of all the refineries and stuff. Galveston? Uh, no, Port Arthur, Texas. Okay. Uh, I don't know that it's considered that way anymore, but there were just a lot of refineries and a lot of stuff got released into the air in the middle of the night when nobody could see it and, uh, mm. and it was flat, you know, and it was humid and it was wet, but I loved going fishing, uh, skiing and, uh, golfing in the lake. And so it was a very, uh, eye opening experience to go from there to Colorado Springs. So, so why, what, what, got you to go to the academy well it's not like you know i hear so many people say well my parents took me there the year before my mother or father usually their father was in the uh, i was trying to decide where i wanted to send my sat scores and where i think about going when i was a junior in high school and this counselor counselor that i really loved said well why don't you consider the air force academy and i (laughs) said well what is i don't know what that is he explained it to me in the process that it would take in order to get nominated to go. And, uh, I said, well, that sounds pretty good. I mean, he explained to me about, it's going to be a free education. You can go give it a try. And he said, you'll probably be on the basketball team. You'll probably be the tallest one there, which of course wasn't true. 
<laughs> well, how tall are you? How tall are, were you in high school? Uh, six three, but uh, that didn't mean I could play good basketball. I mean, I I was okay, but I, you know, I played while I was at the academy in intramurals all the time. And, but uh, that was what really got me thinking about it. You know, military service, and like so many others, I had uh, taken a shine to learning how to fly, hmm. and I didn't want to go somewhere. I mean. I, somebody asked me about going to the Naval Academy and I said, well, I already know how to swim. <laughs> <laughs> so my parents, uh, you know, I went through the whole thing, rigmarole of, uh, uh, getting nominated and I was actually the second alternate. Oh, wow. Yeah. I remember going to Shreveport to Barksdale for the physical thing. Yeah. And I met the primary guy there. And uh, I, this is kind of funny because what you've talked about in your other ones, but he said, if I can keep my grades up, I might be able to make this happen. <laughs> and I knew right then and there that it wasn't by grades or alone or, or grades in academics and athletics and social things. It was who you knew. Oh, wow. So, um, I was, I don't know how I got there from being second alternate, but I did. Well, probably because you the SATs and the fact that they were looking for 1,500 guys to show up. <laughs> 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 yeah. So, okay. So, and I assume you played basketball in high school? Yeah, I did. I, uh, I uh, played basketball. I was in the band. Uh, and I played clarinet, and then I played ha- basketball during basketball season. I tried to be a football player, but uh, I guess I never was big enough or fast enough. Well, but I I decided to concentrate on that, and I played baseball too, but not uh, not for very long in high school. I kind of quit then. Well, six three, you can play. You're not. You're going to be big enough to do something in football. <laughs> <laughs> Jump up and block a field goal or something. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, my my uh, sophomore year at the academy, I got recruited by my squadron uh, to box heavyweight. Oh no! During intramurals. <laughs> oh no! And I only weighed about 180 pounds, I guess. You know, and and uh, it was funny sitting at the our table because in our squadron we decided we were going to have athletic tables, as it were, for the different intramural teams. So we had all these boxers sitting on our ta- our table, you know, and uh, the head of the of our team, the senior uh, Jim Yakabuchi, was the, uh, uh, the table commandant, as it were. And all the rest of the boxers there, they're barely eating any food because they got to make weight. <laughs> and I'm sitting down there at the end, end, end of the table eating peanut butter sandwiches after the regular meal was over, and he's up there going, "Joe, go, Charlie, go." Go, Charlie, go. You're getting all of Mitch's Mountain by yourself. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's cool. So, so, all right. So the transition from uh, you don't really know what this place is all about to getting a nomination and you show up as a dually. How, how did that transition go? Oh, well, uh, just like about everybody else's back then, you know, I mean, uh, first couple of days, these guys are your buddies, you know, showing <laughs> you how to do your gig and tuck lines and, know how to stand at attention and uh then we go out there on that third day i guess it was actually 
a 48 hour period later, whatever it was, after having been dropped off by my parents at the base of the ramp, I go out there and hear that cannon fire and hear these people come in among us like ants out of an anthill, you know, weaving in among us like a cavalry charge, yelling things that I'd never heard before. And, uh, you know, it was a shock like it was to everybody else. Uh, but I remember, you may remember this too, John. Maybe I ought to do an interview of you sometime. <laughs> I, was, I think we ought to do that. We ought to reverse roles. But anyway, <laughs> do you recall when we went to, because um, you see at the time, uh, for those who are listening, John and I were in the same class for two years. I was in 76 and then I left for a year. We'll explain that later. I came back in 77, so I graduated with them. But anyway, you may remember when we went over to uh, Ardle Hall, and we did the cross thing. They told us to stand up, hold our arms out. Do you remember that? I remember I remember a specific uh, deal at Arnold Hall where they said, I don't remember the cross thing, but I remember him saying, stand up, look to the left, look to the right. One of the three of you won't be here in four years, and it's our job to get rid of all of you weak sisters. <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't stick into my memory quite as much. I'm sure it happened. But what, what I remember is that um, we all had to stand up, hold our arms out, and keep them out there as long as we could. Hmm. And so it was a challenge. It was something to do. And we had just, I think it was the same day that we had just, you know, had the cavalry charge from the cannon fire. Okay. And uh, I was one of the last ones to lower my arm. I just couldn't do it anymore. I just remember seeing a few other people I saw around me that I had only recognized because they were in my squadron or whatever, Jaguars. But uh, after we finally did that and dropped, he said, now there's a correlation between how long you stood there holding your arms out, determined to keep those arms out, and your, uh, your willingness or, or how you'll make it to graduate from the academy. <laughs> and I remember my roommate at the time turned to me and said, oh, that's bull. How would they even know? Unless they come around and ask each and every one of us, how long were your arms up? And then check us again two years from now, you know, four years from now. Of course, that guy, he was my roommate personally. He was gone within a week. <laughs> he won't last long. <laughs> he did not last long, no. But uh, I don't know. I, didn't, I thought maybe you'd remember that. Yeah, I, there was so much happening that week. I remember this oh, yeah. test, and I remember the guy telling us we got – Look left, look right, and you know one of the three of you won't be here, and our jobs get rid of all of you. Um, and I remember the uh, obviously the cannon going off, and the and <laughs> who could forget that? It, it probably took me forty years to realize. <laughs> the first guy that came up to me said, "Start counting," and I'm going, "Okay, one." They go louder, and so I'm going one, sir, two, sir, three. And I realized now, many years later, that's how they knew that they hadn't given you enough personal torture yet. If you were one of the idiots still counting, then they come over and give you something else to do. <laughs> so count slow if you stood well, if you stood there quietly they would have thought they've already gotten to you <laughs> <laughs> oh, sh- oh that's funny so so you're in jaguars was was there anything that first summer that stood out for you oh yeah um i guess one of the things is i've kind of been blessed or cursed with a fairly good memory so i remember so many things about that uh I remember uh, more of um, BCT. Okay. 
in the second half when we were out in Jack's Valley than I do the first half. Although I certainly learned a lot of songs that I had no idea existed. <laughs> yeah. You know, that we can, that for many, many years now, have not been able to be sung. Uh, of course. Um, no, really, we can't even think about them. But they're in there, they're in there, <laughs> but you can't even think. They are. <laughs> but I was so, uh, uh, I don't know, naive, innocent, I guess. I don't know how to put it exactly. Uh, with my upbringing that uh, I would change the words of the song so that any of the dirty words in there, I'd change it to a different word. Okay. Well, that changed after a while, though. I finally got around to where I could sing the regular words. But I remember the, the you know, the, the uh, probably my, my thing that I was best at was a confidence course. And the thing that I was worst at was the leadership course because of the, um, you know, you, it's hard. I learned something there that uh, without charisma, it's very difficult to get people to notice you and listen to your ideas. Hmm. And that was one of the things on the leadership force. And the other thing I learned is I did not like hitting, getting hit with a pugil stick. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that was that was the uh, that didn't last but long. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but probably the the one fun thing that I remember about basic is that I was chosen with the survivor of the guys. To go up onto the, uh, call it the flat iron, right? Yep. To go up there and change the sheets that were up there, whatever they were reading at the time, to a J for Jaguars. Okay. okay. And so uh, this these two upperclassmen took us six basics up there. And while we were going up there, we ran into and killed six rattlesnakes. Oh, wow. And so they renamed us the Snakey Six. Wow. Yeah, and the funny thing about it was we went up all the way up there, fought those, you know, trying to get around rattlesnakes, killing them when they were there. Finally got the J in place. We're going down the hill, and here's a, uh, a couple other cadets just kind of sitting around there watching us as we go. And as we're going on down the hill, our upperclassman said he's going to change it to something else as soon as we leave. <laughs> oh, no. Which he did. Ah. Uh. Those doggone other cadets. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, but I love the uh, T-33 flight. Uh, yeah. Star, Stardust. Is that what they call it? Yeah. Uh, man, that was uh, that really made me think, I want to do this. I want to fly a fighter. That, that, was, very, that was very different. I, I just remember sitting there going, this is really small. We're zipping through the mountains, and we're in a really small thing here. This is this is I've been I've flown a lot in passenger airplanes, but never something that small. That was really that was significant. Yes. So, uh, how about the academics in the first the first squadron? What was your first squadron? First squadron was uh, academic squadron was twenty three crash and burn. Okay. And I was in there with uh, Lauren Trottier. Yep. Uh, He and I actually were roommates. I uh, was another gentleman, uh, all right, the last, you know, third go around. And, uh, but we were friends all during that time. You know, he was from Eugene, Oregon, and uh, he was a really nice, enjoyable guy. Um, yeah, he is very low stress. Yes, he is. Uh, I ran into him later at uh, UPT when I was just getting there at Reese to go. He was leaving, and uh, he had gotten an assignment he was not happy with, the B-52. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which I thought he. But anyway, uh, we can talk about that later. How all that kind of stuff happened. <laughs> but uh, there was it was interesting to discover later on uh, that 
the senior class there of 73 had been together for four years, hmm. all four years, you know, same guys. And, we, you know, our classes, they, after one year as a dually, then you go somewhere else for three years or if you're unlucky, like Kai or like me or some others, you know, you might maybe only two years, but anyway, uh, that particular squadron. But uh, I always thought the, between that, the arm holding out thing and the, different things they had for different classes. It seemed like they're always experimenting, trying to figure out what was going to work best. Yeah. And my and question it, is what are they experimenting about? <laughs> yeah. Mine too. <laughs> what's I went measure? to my what 40th. Yeah. What analytics are they doing to come up with what's, what's tortures better? What, what are they doing here? <laughs> <laughs> is it just that? Or are we like mice in a cage or yeah. rats in a maze? Or are they actually, you know, looking five, ten years down the road in the Air Force to see who does what. Well, I, think, I mean, because of, yeah. I'm sorry. I was going to say, I think some of it is the people in charge go back to what they were cadets. They'd like it to be like when they were cadets. Because I heard from another guy, class of 86 grad, they spent all four years in the same squad. Did they? And the 86 guys, some of their senior officers were in the 70s, early 70s. So I, I just ah. think, it, and right now the cadets are doing two and two. Yeah, that's what I had just heard last time I went to the reunion. They were it's two and two, which is another interesting way to do it. And they're going to change it back to one and three. <laughs> you know, I I got to admit I like the idea of one and three because if if you were really you know stepping on it as a dually as a freshman, you got a fresh start as an upperclassman. Yeah, I I guess it depends on how well you were doing. <laughs> I don't think anybody is doing great as a dually. I mean, maybe academically or something, but. Uh, I think it's just a refresh of, of that that whole vibe of it. You got to get into a uh, you're you're a different kind of a cadet now. Now you survived this tough first year. Yes. Uh, did you? When I have personal questions, but I think you told me that you traveled. Your parents moved around a lot. Yeah. When was, you were growing up, I was an Air Force brat. Right. So you learned you had to go to a new school all the time and learn how to refit in again. Yep. Yeah, and. Uh, at my high school, we didn't have a whole lot of that because there, there wasn't any only people moving in was to work at the plants or something around there. And people moving out was because they were tired of working at the plants, I guess. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but it's it was like a, its own little club. I remember my, my wife moved there after her uh, in the sixth grade. She said it was like trying to really get into a already established club. Oh, wow. And if everybody was moving in there at the same time, it'd be kind of like a fresh start. But if you're the one new one in there, it could be kind of tough. And I, same thing with, I think, um, well, that proved true with what I saw with my time at the academy, but with some of the people who had to leave one squadron to go to another one because of the breaking up of Evil 8 or uh, you know, having too good of a time at some of the other squadrons. <laughs> 19, 19 got destroyed. Um, yes, 19 did too. You know, I looked at that and I, I went back and looked at the books and I thought, yeah, I can count the number of seniors that are at the, these different squadrons. Yeah. And the ones like yours, like 36 and eight before it's broken up, there were like 26, 28 seniors there. Yeah, we had 28 guys and then we, they, they took four guys away. And then some of the other uh, squadrons that have one like 15, 17, 18 guys. Well, we, so you we can tell the- who's having a good time and who's not. Well, we had the big flush. I mean, <laughs> a lot of guys were quitting. So 
so duly year you, you skated through with uh dean's list and commandant and all that stuff <laughs> not commandant i was on the dean's list uh, okay. i wasn't quite so good military order of merit um and then third degree year did you what happened there went to ninth squadron uh well, they changed their nickname <laughs> uh yeah they did they didn't uh, <laughs> uh, I'll I tell you the old one, and I'm not going to say it. So yeah. no, no, don't say it. Uh, but uh, maybe some other time we can talk about what the what the Dooleys used to say as one of their posts from leaving the the table. But anyway, yes. uh, yeah, and I uh, I was enjoying Night Squadron. That was uh, I was having a, a pretty good time there. Uh, that's where I, I boxed and. Uh, I think I I played football in the fall and rugby in the spring for intramurals. So you were just the 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 pounding the the hardcore uh, tough guy. Uh, I was not. No, no. Well, football, uh, rugby, and boxing. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, um, I was thinking in my uh, duly year, uh, I had uh, got onto the uh, cadet corral you know, fourth class crowd, whatever it was, that thing where you went in there that uh, during basic training and uh, uh, James Roger Boyd, who was, you remember the guy who played the organ up there uh, in the, in the chapel? I Maybe remember not. going to the chapel, but I don't have the, I don't remember much about okay. the people. Anyway, that was one thing that made me decide I was going to stay when I was that he said, uh, I want you to sing in the, in the, in the chorus. Cool. Uh, and uh, I, I thought, while I was sitting out there, boy, if this guy doesn't like me, I might just go home. I don't know. I wouldn't have, but I mean, I was you know, feeling sorry for myself or something. Well, but anyway, I, I did that. And then in the spring, I went out for, for baseball and made it to the last cut and then got cut off of there. Saw Jimmy Doe hit a home run in, the, uh, in one of the scrimmages things, whatever we were doing. And, and the coach went all crazy. And I said, well, I'm never going to hit a home run, so I'm probably going to get cut. And I was. Mm. Anyway, uh, so that. In my uh, third class year, that's what I. Uh, but before the third class year, I was going to say that's that's where I first met Kai, kind of, sort of, Kai Webb. Okay. Okay. And uh, uh, Enrique Saw. Yeah. And the guy I didn't remember his name being Sam Walker, but I guess that's what his name was. The one we called Candyman, who had put the heart. Uh, Hershey bars on his boots for the black hats to come out and look at when they did their inspection before we went running to go to uh, was... do the do the parachuting at Airborne. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. The sad thing, I mean, I thought that was really gutsy, but uh, I remember there was one thing. Did you do Airborne? Yes. So you remember that one thing where nobody the job nobody wanted. That was to run that rope from one end of that mound down there to the other end so they could put, a, put another parachute on. Uh, I don't I don't remember doing that. I just remember eating like a pig because I'd come yeah. out of Syria. I come out of Syria, it was August and it was warm weather and they let us eat all we wanted to. <laughs> I was trying to oh get... yeah. Yeah. Well anyway, so uh I just remember the the candy man, they were looking for a, a rope man to run that rope back and forth. Where's the candy man? Let's have him. They were, they could be brutal at times, but it was there at Airborne that I kind of started growing up a little bit, I guess, because I was out on my own for the first time in the metropolis of Columbus. 
<laughs> Georgia. Uh, and it was, I guess, about uh, two-thirds of the way through uh, my third-class year, I was thinking um, my grades were not doing as well as I, I was had hoped. And by the that fourth semester at the academy, I'd fallen off the dean's list. And then uh, I got the nerve word possibly that I might be too tall to go to pilot training Uh-oh. from my sitting height, <laughs> which was oh, interesting God. because my roommate was six, six and his sitting height was an inch and a half shorter than mine was. We had a guy in our squad in similar story. Steve Jorgensen. Ah, <laughs> Jorgie. Yeah. You gotta, you gotta listen to Jorgie's explanation of how he got around that, but go ahead. How did you get around all that? Well, I didn't. Um, oh. I, uh, I went through the whole you know, thing about thinking about what do I want to do. And all summer long, I thought about it. And uh, it wasn't just the flying. I was just trying to decide, is the academy really what I want to do? Yeah. Is this the way I want to go with my life? Uh, you know, the, What's the big commitment? Because you're, you're 20, barely 20 years old in there. Yeah. I was 17 when I went to the academy. So you're 19 years old. You get you got two more years of school and, and a minimum five more. So you got a seven year commitment at that age. Yeah, yeah, and uh, you know, plus you're thinking military. Do I want to be a military person, a military man? Do I want to have a military mind? And you can come up with all kind of rationalizations. Well, society wasn't really that wasn't a real popular career path in our <laughs> at that time. <laughs> no, like we talked about before. Uh, you didn't get on an airplane and everybody stood and applauded for you and asked you, if, you know, you yeah. know, thank you for your yeah. service and would you like to take my seat or any of that kind of stuff. That was, it was a totally different thing. It was a hostile environment to go downtown to uh, Colorado Springs. In fact, I was going to say, I remember the first time I went downtown as a, as a dually, uh, we had to wear uniforms at the beginning there and you go downtown, but I had a little box that I'd put in some pants I'd bought at the cadet store and probably that blue khaki shirt they passed out. Well, I mean, not khaki, but whatever denim shirt they passed out to us. And I put that in a little shoe box and decided I was going to go into town and then change, become a civilian, you know, who would notice my short hair and shiny black (laughs) shoes. (laughs) And this first, he stopped and picked me up. I think mostly to, to show off his new, Corvette, whatever it was that he got me in. And he asked me, it was in the box. And I told him, he says, I'll just keep that here for you and I'll return it back to you or your squadron later. So going downtown and, you know, your cadet uniform service Bravo, uh, it felt a little uncomfortable until I found about three or four of the guys all hanging around Giuseppe's Pizza joint there. <laughs> we all went in there in our blues and ate pizza. Anyway, so I'm I'm back to third class year, and I'm thinking, this is what I want to do. And right before uh, that, you know, call to quarters from that time in the fall where you had to have made your decision, I signed the paper and said, I'm out of here. So I'm curious, did did you have to get the paper in advance? How did that – I don't remember how that process went. I don't really remember if you filled it out and went in there and and signed it – signed it or if I just went into the AOC's office and signed it in front of him, okay. it would, it would, I don't know. It would make more sense that 
I remember I had a good friend who was just really tossing back and forth, looking out the window. Do I want to leave? Do I not? You know, I go sign that paper. And he didn't, but I did. And then I kind of mucked around for a little while, still going to classes and stuff. Oh, really? Yeah. And uh, finally, after maybe a couple, maybe almost a week, uh, somebody, I can't remember if it was the AOC or one of the, the uh, leaders of the, of the class, you know, I mean, the squadron cadets yeah. said, you're going to have to change to fatigues and continue your out processing. So he said, you can't keep hanging around here. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I mean, cause I could have changed my mind at any time. I finally said, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to do this. I'm going to get out of here. Oh, wow. And the funny thing about it was I still owed some tours, you know, I still had some <laughs> tours to walk. And this guy, one of my classmates, when I was leaving, processing out, you know, I'm, I'm in the squadron getting all my stuff together. He says, well, you still owe us some tours. <laughs> uh, I said, well, I don't think I'm going to walk him. He said, yeah, you are. You can't leave this place until you walk these tours. And I said, yes, I can. Watch me. Really? Come on. <laughs> I, I'm not kidding. He actually did that. He, actually came, he, had, his, he had his little folded back, you know, his little clipboard here. You owe us seven tours or four tours, whatever it was. And I swear, after, you know, when I went back to the academy, after a year at A&M, which I didn't go to for the ROTC, by the way. I grew my hair long and cut my <laughs> cut my fatigue shirts into rags. But anyway, I went back. I thought he's going to come find me and, and make me march those seven tours. <laughs> Did he? No. <laughs> oh, my but goodness. I, but I almost you've got seven too. tours to march, Charlie. <laughs> <laughs> I still owe him seven. Yeah. Yeah. So, all right, so so you, you leave Air Force in, uh, whatever, August, and then you show up at Texas A&M, or did you have to apply? Yeah. How'd that all? I, I had applied, and believe me, it was much better, much easier back then to get into the Air Force Academy, I think, than it is now. Much easier to get into A&M then than it is now, because uh, I just, I showed up there the last minute, you know, at A&M, and uh, I got a counselor who gave me all the wrong classes to take, because he... He said, well, I don't know if we can take all these things you took at the academy. I said, you got to be kidding me. The academy is <laughs> a premier college. You're going to go take my physics, my English, my history. And the second semester, I got a guy who said, what the heck are you doing here? You're supposed to be taking this, this, and this. So anyway, um, and I lived in the, the Walton dorm there at A&M. And, and uh, a lot of things were kind of the same in some respects in that we had intramural teams and we had our Walton dorm meetings or like squadron meetings to talk about stuff, you know. Okay. Don't ha don't harass the freshmen, stuff like that. And this was this was a regular uh, student deal. Yeah, I was just I was uh, you know, I, I took my money that I had saved up from you know the cadet money, you know that they keep for you. <laughs> yeah. And they give give you your senior year, you know. And I use I used that to pay for uh, tuition because I think it was uh, I think my tuition was. Fifteen dollars an hour. I yeah, think. don't you're gonna drive people crazy because the inflation rate. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It was fifteen for in state and forty for out of state, and uh, so, and so I started taking these classes because I wanted to become a veterinarian. Okay. And then uh, at New Year's uh, that year, I took the long, long drive to see my girlfriend in San Antonio, who was. Uh, his dad ran the state hospital there. That ought to tell you something about me. But anyway, um, and while I was there, I started thinking about it. I decided by the time I got there that I was going to reapply to the academy because all my 
A's had turned out to be B's, and that wasn't going to get me into vet school. I was I guess I was having too good of a time, and <laughs> organic chemistry was kicking me. Uh oh. Yeah, so uh, I reapplied, and uh, I, I, always said, I always said I reapplied. Uh, they reaccepted me, so I returned. So how how did that? How did, you how did that happen? Okay. Yeah, what? Come on, yeah. Well, let me preface this by saying I don't exactly know what his story is, but I know in researching my book that another guy named Steve Becker did the same thing. He was in our class of 76, except that he left after his Dooley year. Okay. And then he came back and completed three years in the same squadron. Okay. So he graduated with me in 77. And I did not know that until I was researching this book. But anyway, uh, I had to go through all the rigmarole again. I had to do the physical thing again. I had to meet with an Air Force liaison officer. And uh, I guess they, and whatever test we took, I don't remember. But I guess they figured, well, we've got two years invested in this guy. If he wants to come back, we'll take him. And all they did was change my cadet number from 7-6-something to 7-7. Seven, seven. So they, they, they figured you're in good standing other than the seven tours. Yeah, yeah. Well, I did have to tell them I'd been thrown in jail one night, but they didn't seem to care about that. <laughs> what did you get thrown in jail for? I was no, no big deal. Huh? <laughs> <What>? <laughs> a friend of mine and I, we went to this place across, right across the street from the Walton dorm that was called the uh, Dixie Chicken. <laughs> and it, it might have been Southern, but they did not. There, It was a place where you, you know, <laughs> We were celebrating something. I don't even remember what it was, you know, end of big test or something. And you could get a, a Lone Star long neck for 50, uh, 55 cents or Shiners for 40 cents. Well, we didn't want to just drink Shiners because they wouldn't think of, that was like, you know, elephant piss. So <laughs> we, we, we got one of each. We have one in each hand. We're too festing it until we just got plowed. Then we went uh, next door to watch these movies they called the Aggie Frolics at midnight. And uh, we're coming out of there and I started feeling sick. And I, I said, I got to throw up man. it's covered. And my classmate, I mean, my, my roommate, who was a freshman, I said, Oh man, don't, don't do that. CW man. The cops are right there. <laughs> ah, they won't care, but they did. So he had to come bail me out. Oh. I'm shortening the story because, but that's but, basically, that's essentially it. And, but, uh, but Air Force took you back. And the Air Force took me back anyway. Yeah. I guess if you were, well, you know, there's probably a lot of cadets who should have been thrown in. We're all already. All degenerates. Anyway. All right. So, so now from, from, let's see, 23 to nine to what? Well, actually I've, I've had five summers. I've been in five squadrons and I've been in five groups. Oh my goodness. Yeah. Right. I was, how do you do the five uh, squadrons? Because you only have to in four years. Yeah. Well, I was in 23rd squadron and then I was in ninth squadron. And then when you leave the oh, academy, they assign you to 41st squadron, the fifth group. Okay. I thought you were going to throw Jaguars in there too. So 41. No. All right. <laughs> so that you were officially sent to 41st Squadron in fifth group. That's where yeah. they, they send okay. you when you leave. Okay. And then I came back and I went to 32 uh, in fourth group. And uh, that's where, you know, Kai and I got to be good friends. In the meantime, while I was gone, my brother, Paul, 
was in 36 Squadron as a Dooley. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, Paul Williams, I, I wasn't sure if you'd remember him or not. He was I, a pretty I, good football player. I, unfortunately, I don't remember a lot of the Dooleys, but I know they, they, they didn't. They didn't have as hard a time with us as they had could have had with other squadrons. Oh yeah, I know that. Um, yeah, I found out the squadron I was going back to thirty two was notorious for being a little harsh mm. on the young gentlemen, as Kai liked to call them. Yeah. But anyway, uh, yeah, Paul was there, and uh, so uh, he knew Jimmy Doe, who had been uh, in twenty three with me, or I'd been in twenty three with him and Lauren. And uh, he knew Kai, and uh, he went to Paul on his third class year. Went to second uh, squadron, and he was uh, played football. In fact, uh, one game against uh, as a when he was a sophomore, he uh, I think he caught like five passes from Mike Warden against oh. uh, against CSU. And uh, yeah, so uh, you know he was a receiver, not not one of the bigger ones as a sophomore, but. He actually got kicked off the team, and and he because he, he was a defensive back, and they said uh, he said I want to be a wide receiver and start again, and they let him do it. And his uh, junior, my senior year, uh, he and the quarterback, a freshman named uh, Zebart, uh, made the academy record for the longest touchdown pass, eighty nine yards. Cool. Which was only broken last fall. Oh wow! Yeah. That's great. Uh, and so he yeah. was in the, he was in your fourth and final squad, fifth and final squad. He was not. No, he was not with me, but because he was in second squad and I was in 32. Yeah. But the fun thing about it was, is that we were there when he wasn't a dually. He did dualier by himself. And then we had my, my second and first, his third and second uh, yeah. years. So we were able to go out and do stuff, go skiing and, you know, hang yeah. out together and stuff. Uh, so anyway, you had the car <laughs> Yeah, and I, and my senior year, I had a car and the junior year when I went back, you know, the second class year, yeah. a lot of senior friends who said, <laughs> Oh, use my car anytime you want to. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Except for one, one guy, I kind of abused the privilege and he said, don't use my car anymore. <laughs> You've been Give me my keys stuff. back. So, so he said, uh, five summers, what, uh, what kind oh, of yeah. stuff did you do? Well, uh, uh, the third class year, I did airborne and survival. Okay. Uh, of course, like everybody else did. Uh, well, not, I mean, survival anyway. Yeah. And uh, then the the year that I left that summer, I was, I did, uh, I was in the basic, you know, I was in the basic uh, cadet summer, BCT one, I think. Yeah. Or no, BCT2, because I was in Siri before that as an instructor. Oh, okay. And so when I came back to the academy, uh, you know, I put in a letter, you know, look, accept me back to the academy. I'll come back in the summer. So I ended up, you know, doing another summer. <laughs> and I did uh, BCT again, only this time I was an element uh, leader because even though I was a second class one, they were hurting for firsties, so... Uh, I got to be a leader and then I did survival training again, which meant that I could wear the Syria patch on my athletic jacket. And I got stopped many times by firsties, you know, and when I was walking around there, how come you're wearing a Syria patch? You're only a second class one. 
and I would have to tell them the story. So I did those things. And then my senior year, uh, I was able to get away from that stuff. And I did uh, navigational instructor training and third lieutenant. Where'd you do third lieutenant? I went to Altus, Oklahoma okay. Air Force Base for C-5s. And met a guy there that I ran into later when I was flying for Delta. And uh, so I used to go around with them with the C-5 training flights. And I got to fly in a KC-135, even got to land it. Oh, although wow. the the aircraft commander was running the throttles, uh, which was smart. <laughs> yeah. Did you go anywhere exotic on your C-5? The one thing I wanted to do, and this guy was trying to line it up for me, was to jump up on a 141 and, and go to in the Pacific. Yeah. And then at the last minute, he said, they, they won't let me let you go. And I said, okay, fine. Uh, I'll just hang around here in beautiful Altus, Oklahoma. <laughs> but he was a real nice guy, so that, that wasn't too bad. Um. All right, so then then you finally your 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 long winding road gets you to graduation. Yeah, well, uh, God, I got so many stories about these guys that you've talked about that you knew. <laughs> like uh, Kai and I did a lot of things together. Uh, Ron Zimmerman and, and Kai and I uh, flew up to CSU, and I got my pilot's license while I was there, and so we rented that little beach craft that I was used to flying and we flew up to CSU at Fort Collins to the airport there in order to go to this Jerry Jeff Walker, Hoyt yep. Axton, Doug Kershaw <laughs> and the Cowboy Twinkies concert, which lasted about six hours. Uh, that would be a Kai. Kai, Kai would have been in heaven on that deal. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's what uh, the thing about that was, is that my year at A&M, I really, you know, fell in love with country Western music. So, uh, I introduced him to Jerry Jeff Walker and uh, we had, a, you know, a fun thing singing pissing in the wind together Yeah, all the, all the time. But um, we, after the concert was over, we couldn't find any place to sleep. So we went uh, back to the airplane and slept in the airplane. Uh, Ron's everyone curled up in the very back, Kai in the middle and me in the, in the front. Well, that's that's actually more comfortable than some other places. The three of us is. <laughs> <laughs> I, I know they had. Yeah. I've heard some of those oh. those stories. Yeah. Ron and I slept in a parking lot outside of a, the night before Bob Dylan concert on the on the, the next to our cars, our two sports cars, in in those mummy sleeping bags. Oh wow! And we all we had for dinner was a bottle of sangria, and I apparently barfed all night all over my sleeping bag. So I was purple <laughs> crap, and Ron was next to me going, "Oh, you stink!" I'm like, oh, well, <laughs> well, well, that Jerry Jeff Walker concert was fun and funny because uh, we were trying to get into it. There was a guy sitting outside with a ice chest full of beer. Uh -oh. And we asked him, what's going on here? And he said, well, they won't let me take it in, so I got to drink it out here. And we said, well, let us help you. Can we help you get through it? <laughs> <laughs> wow. So um, you, you mentioned uh, 32 and Kai, that being a little different squadron for both of you. What uh, I, I think I think the folks listening to this are going to go, okay, what what sets the mood or the tone of a squadron? Who 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 does that? 
Well, I would, if you could tell me the answer to that, I would feel like I had discovered one of the secrets of the universe. Uh, what do you think? I think it's a combination of what the Academy thinks the cadet leadership is and what the AOC thinks. I think the AOC has a lot to do with it. A lot more than I wish they did. Yeah. But the AOC is pretty much the guy who decides, you know, your military order of merit when you're a senior. But he's, and he's not, the guy. He's, he's not, the guy who says it's going to be the squadron commander. Yeah, he's not there 24-7, but he does pick the leadership. You know. Yeah. 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 Anyway, anyway, so 32 was a much tighter, tightly tighter run, kind of more of an anal squadron than, than most. I would I would have to say that, although uh, most of my friends that I made there were not that way. That's why Kai and I got to be so close, is because I couldn't really deal with the the ones that were super hyper in '76, huh. and uh, those in '77 and my new new that I started hanging around with were the mellow end of it. You know, it, <laughs> as we as the squadron got older, you know, it started separating yeah. into. They were all still trying to be adhered to be a class, and we were. But there was a different way of seeing things and how things ought to ought to be done. Now, what did you guys do to blow off steam? Well, uh, go skiing <laughs> a lot. Okay. Uh, go to uh, Colorado. I mean, uh, uh, Loretta Heights. A lot. Okay. Met several girls up there, and you know there was like it wasn't like you had. I had a particular for a long time. Had a particular girlfriend up there. We just go up there and and visit with them and do fun stuff with them. And uh, you know they usually would say, "Okay, here's a room. You guys can. She's gonna move in here with us. You guys can stay in this room. You know, it's three to four, three or four to a bed and the floors." And uh, that's how I got to know some you know a d- different side of the world up there and uh, Paul would go up there with me sometimes as well uh, there so was a while there then I didn't get to blow off any steam because uh, I had gotten a commandant's disciplinary board uh, for okay. something I didn't even do and you, what happened come on tell us the story. <laughs> well <laughs> here's the story uh, well, actually, I guess in a way you could say that I, I did it because uh, <laughs> I, uh, I was at a, at a football game and we were supposed to do, we were supposed to march on our squadron, you know, third, fourth what group, fourth group was supposed to march on. Yeah. And uh, I went that morning, Saturday morning, to the hotel to pick up my girlfriend, take her to the game. She wasn't ready to go, so I waited for her. And as a result of that, when we got back down there, you know, the cadets were marching on and and I, I thought this would be really stupid for me to go in there and, you know, kick some dooley out so that I can march. So I didn't. And uh, then later on, I think it probably on Sunday, one of these guys that I didn't spend a whole lot of time with, uh, one of my classmates at 32 came and asked me what did, what happened and I told him that I, you know, I was ready to go, but she wasn't. So I waited for her and he said, okay, fine. He walked out. Next thing I know, I'm written up for intentional late. 
Mm. And intentional late was a was a CDB offense. Jeez. So I went to the CDB. I found out later that the uh, the the board, <clears throat> excuse me, the board reduced my uh, punishment to eight and four. But Uh-oh. the squadron commander at the time, the cadet squadron commander at the time, pleaded for them to up it, and they upped it from a CDV class one to a two or a three. I can't remember what it was. So that was one of those things that when I talk about integrity and things like that, and I heard people talk about, you know, like Jimmy Doe cautioned against, if they get you down, they'll try to keep you down sometimes. Yeah. And that's what was happening. To, that happened to Kai. That's what was happening to me my senior year. And, uh, you know, I just had to, you know, work through that. Yeah, well, I, <laughs> I was Kai's roommate after he had his CDB. And just by association, I was getting written up for tours and we couldn't get off the damn tour path. <laughs> I know exactly what you mean. I mean, you, you know, you'd come in to your room, find no dust, but they'd find some dust anyway and yeah. write you up. It was a... Uh, <laughs> It was kind of a Ponzi scheme in a way. Once they had decided they were going to keep you down, but that's only that's only a few people. But unfortunately, at this particular point, it was the ones who were in charge of the squatter. Well, it it highlights for me. But that's gone. You know, that's water under the bridge. Well, highlights for me one of the things the Air Force Academy and probably all the military schools do is it really leans on your weaknesses and makes you exposes your whatever whatever weakness you got whatever whatever's going on it just it just picks at you in areas that you think gosh i'm doing military wise doing great doing academics i'm holding my water up and and now they're coming after me for some weird thing like missing a a march onto a football game because my girlfriend's takes too long to get dressed to get ready it's just yeah they're gonna find something and get on you for it yeah well, I think uh, I, I don't know. I don't want to get back into that anymore. No, we don't get uh, mad. I'm just saying, folks, beware of the. You're going to feel like you're under the gun because the whole place is structured to be put you under that kind of pressure. Because when you graduate, you're going to end up being uh, something important. And Charlie, that is have to go to Reese Air Force Base. <laughs> yeah, and that that is that is true about that because um, I remember when I went to to Reese and going through pilot training and these. Truly, these cadets—I mean, these uh, these students in UPT who had not been to the academy—UPT was extremely stressful. Yeah. And for me, it was. Gosh, I've been through so much stress. This is a piece of cake. You know, this is this is one ant short of a picnic, <laughs> uh, as far as I'm concerned. This is, yeah. uh, relatively, I mean, it's, it was tough, but not psychologically it wasn't a show however you yeah you you built up pretty big yeah by then (laughs) yeah yeah you learn you know what can be tough and so no um and then i see here that uh you got to go to mcdill after you got your wings yeah i went there in f4s uh and then was assigned to torjon air base in spain and i was there for five and a half years Wow. Which I really enjoyed because I love Spain. It became like a second home to me. And as a result of that, you know, I went to Italy, uh, Italy 
Aviano, Sardinia, Sicily, Naples, went to Turkey, you know, all over Europe. Yeah. Took uh, Euro, uh, Euro rail tours around there as well as flying F-4s later and later on F-16s and into all those different places. And it really was, uh, you know, a seminal part of my life. Uh, it, it's kind of really set a, a mood for the rest of my life. It was seeing how different countries live, how the world was beyond, first of all, beyond my little town in Texas, and then beyond our little academy there where we were cloistered most, much of the time. <laughs> our little prison camp, yep. <laughs> yeah, as it were, yeah. And then uh, uh, for fighter pilots, I always like to ask, uh, did you have any ever have any close calls? <clears throat> oh, well, geez, like a mosquito in a nudist camp. Where do I begin? <laughs> <laughs> uh not any real close calls i mean i had a, a few i uh you know some of the usual things you know engines overheating or compressor stalls all that kind of stuff that's sort of ubiquitous to all you know, to most pilots but uh and you know some of my earlier close calls i guess were brought on myself i mean uh when i was learning how to fly at the academy i was flying that little beechcraft sundowner in the fall down into the Rockies there to look at the Aspens. And I suddenly realized I was in the proverbial box corner. Uh. No way out. And I finally figured out I'm just going to keep circling around. I got a whole kinds of many hours worth of fuel in this airplane. So I'll just circle around slowly till I get my way out of here. And then a valley appeared. And so I would go down that for a little while and think I'm going to circle here. Then another one appeared. And eventually I was high enough that I could climb back out again. And I kind of started thinking about that in my life here recently is that, you know, just keep looking for the valley. But anyway, uh, probably the biggest one was that uh, I was doing a functional check flight, FCF. There was two kinds we did. One was where you did the whole profile, go up, do the mock run and everything. And the other one was called more of a confidence flight. And it was on a Sunday, and all we had to do was fly this F4 out beyond the BFR corridor there in Spain, about 40, 45 miles out, do a couple of loops and stuff or whatever, and then come back on and home. Uh-huh. And we're on our way out of there, and, and we wanted to, we've been sitting all day waiting for this airplane, so we wanted to get this done. So instead of doing the normal 300, 350, whatever it was in the BFR corridor, you know, I might have been approaching 450 to 500 knots there. <laughs> and uh, all of a sudden, the airplane just started to shake and, uh, the rudder pedal that says you're stalling was going off at the same time as the, air, the airspeed indicator said we were supersonic. Mm. And I, and my whistle was going, what the heck is going on? You know, cause they're all you, behind you. They're always trying to figure out what's going on up front there. What are you doing? Sure. And, uh, I started looking around the engines were okay. Uh, and something caught my eye and I looked up front and I could see the radar going back and forth. Hmm. The radome had come off. Oh my. Yeah. So I turned the radar off and uh <laughs> luckily we didn't lose our utility hydraulics, but you know, it was a day VF and R. Yeah. Uh and we slow weighed down and started heading back and we're trying to decide if we're gonna do a controllability check. And I said, Well, I think I'll head towards the mountains and see what this thing will do. But first I'm gonna put the gear down. And if the gear comes down and nothing happens. I'm going to go in here, no flap, because I don't know if the radome hit, hit the wings, you know, underneath right. what it hit. I don't know. Yeah. And the uh, 
the airplane kept kicking one way than the other. So I tried to turn the yog off and it sort of going back and forth wider and wider. So I put that back on and I flew a, a, a no flap approach, no flap, no radome approach into uh, uh, Torahon there and caught the cable and the approach end. Uh, came in kind of fast so that we'd have, we'd be able to recover if something happened. I didn't want to get slow because the AOA indicators were not accurate. And uh, Anyway, the funny thing about it was, is that I had told my Wizzo, we're not going to take the, uh, we're not going to take the barrier after all, cable after all, rather. we're not going to take the cable after all. So he unlocked his shoulder <laughs> harness and I kept mine locked. I kept mine locked. And at the last minute we're on the ground, I realized we we're going to make it. So I put the, put the hook down and we took the cable and he was, uh, you know, Gosh, I'm, yeah, I'm stuck in the radome and I can't get up. That's funny. That's great. <laughs> and all these cars came out there, you know, uh, and the, the DO was chastising me for not. T- I said, I didn't want to take the cable unless I knew I was going to be slow. And he said, I don't give a shit about that. You know, yeah. doing 250 knots, you try to take that cable if you can. Yes, sir. I'll, I'll pay for a new cable. Okay. <laughs> and uh, that was probably the most you know, the, because we, when we got back to the squadron a few days later, somebody brought me a picture of a recce F4 where the nose cone had come off, the radome had come off, but it hadn't come off all the way. Yeah. It was stuck to one side, and the pictures of this thing pointed straight down the ground, maybe three, 400 feet above the ground with the radome sticking to the side and crashing into the ground straight down. Wow. So we were lucky it came off completely. But I think it had a pretty big effect on my backseater, uh, Paul Gregory, whom we called Possum, because he had a guy do a painting of it that he still has to this day of this Air Force flying around <laughs> with no radar. Oh my! Yeah, yeah. I, I was gonna say in my in my world, if you didn't make an arrested landing, you were swimming. So we we did that all. Yeah. The time. <laughs> I wanted to ask you, uh, how do you uh, how do you go to the Navy? I uh, just uh, the Air Force took away my pilot qual junior year and. I said, well, I'm not eating all this crap to sit in the missile silos. So then that was my option was, uh, and since I was bottom of the class, I was at having the mine out or some, some other garden spot of the missile world. And I put in the paperwork to go into the Navy and they, and uh, you- they interview you and they, <laughs> it, it's a long story, but I end up one on one with the superintendent in his office and, and had to convince him I didn't want to be a career air force officer. And he let me go in. <laughs> and when you went there, then you were able to go to pilot training. Well, NFO, and I was a navigator. Uh, okay, okay. <clears throat> yeah, I showed up in Pensacola, and I'm an ensign. I don't know anything about the Navy. It's it's the weirdest story going. <laughs> as, oh. I, as I told Trot in our interview, that the Navy has a different language for everything. So did you enjoy that, uh, being on the, uh, how often did you, how many tours or what do you call that, uh, uh, cruises did, one, did you have? I did one half cruise in the med and, the, and two years I deployed on the USS Midway in Japan. And most of that was in the IO during the hostage thing. So yeah, it was, it was, the, it was, I would have stuck it out, but my wife said, no, you're, you're getting out. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and that, and that, that was fine. We, we made a pact. Um, and that brings me to your deal. You you did about ten years. You got an F sixteen, and then you got and you said no more. Well, uh, yeah, I I, uh, 
I was trying to get a job to be at, I was, I was doing teaching RTU F-16 at McDill and I was trying to get a job, uh, flying uh, F-18s with the Canadians, but over in Germany. And this one guy I talked to out there in San Antonio said, man, you sound like you've got all the qualifications we need. I said, man, this is sounding good. I was telling Karen, you know, we might go back to Europe and fly a really cool airplane. And I didn't hear from the guy for a while. So I, on a weekend, I grabbed an F-16 and flew out to San Antonio. And he was gone. There's a new guy there. He didn't know the, who the heck I was. Hmm. So I said, well, okay, fine. So I started asking him again, what are you going to do with me? And they said, well, if you if you make rank, you're going to go to uh, school. If you don't, you're going to be a back halo. So I said, well, I'm not doing either one of those. <laughs> And I applied to uh, the airlines and got hired by Delta and American, and I decided to go with Delta. And you did that for a long time. Not not as long as other people. Uh, I did it for about 18, a little bit more than 18 years. I uh, retired uh, when I was 51, summer of 2005. Well, Seems I don't stay with a job for very long. I get bored doing something. Well, what, else. You know, I want to. I'm I'm just curious what uh, what triggered that retirement. Well, at the time, uh, you know, we Delta had a really good pay scale. I didn't like being away from my family as much as I was, but I mean, I was really making good good money. Sure. As you know. And so uh, when they start talking about going bankrupt, and they reduced our pay total pay package, including benefits, everything somewhere 40% or so. Mm. And uh, I started thinking, well, what happens if we don't have any retirement, which that might be the next thing they take. And I can't fly anymore mm. because something physical that I don't know about. Yep. So I decided to take the lump sum, which was a pretty good hunk of money and, and get out. Cool. So I was looking for something else to do. I was, I was uh, applying to Southwest. And uh, two days, I remember the, the first day after I retired, August the 1st, uh, I got up five something in the morning and said, okay, I'm retired. What does a retired person do? <laughs> I went and grabbed my fishing pole, made a couple of casts. No, this ain't going to work. <laughs> Then I went for a walk. I turned around, came back. I ain't going to do that every day. It's <laughs> five o'clock in the morning. And uh, the next day, we found out that our son's speech and debate coach had very abruptly resigned. Evidently, she didn't get along well with the school. Okay. And we had been traveling with our son. Uh, he was a good debater as a freshman that year. So I went and said, hey, look, you know, I'm retired from... Airlines, uh, I'm looking for something else, but right now I'll be glad to take over the, you know, the team until you find somebody else to do it permanent. Next thing I know, I'm the coach. I'm teaching philosophy and sociology and debate. And then four years later, I was also the drama director. So I did speech and debate and drama, uh, drama for four years and speech and debate for uh, eight, uh, seven years, including three years where I did it. Uh, what do they call that pro bono? Now you're, you're being but humble because you're you're a diamond. <laughs> How do you know that? I've done some research. Not not many people even know that. I mean, I never even collected my diamond. <laughs> <laughs> you're a diamond coach in, in the the Niceville High School forensics drama thing. 
Yeah, that was two separate things. Okay. Forensic speech and debate was one thing, and drama was the other. Nobody ever done that before. And but I, I, I did it anyway uh, because I was getting a lot of the drama kids to come over and do uh, inter- interpretive events for me in speech and debate, and I had some of my debaters that I wanted to get involved with theater. But anyway, uh, yeah, I, I was the uh, and I was the coach of the year in Florida one year. And um, I think it's just because it wasn't because I accomplished a lot. I think they just liked me. And then they made put you on the Gator Guard. Uh yeah, <laughs> yeah, UF. Okay. Uh, mm-hmm. So you got Texas A and M, Air Force, and and the Gator Guard. I mean, what's, what's <laughs> the most impressive of those three? <laughs> uh, well, I I pull for Alabama now when they play. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> as long as they're not playing the Air Force, which they which they never will. No. Yeah. But anyway, that, that was a that was an, a wonderful eye opening experience, and that was when I finished and published my first book. I wrote a couple of plays that we performed in Niceville so, comedies. Then that 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 makes me okay. You, you mentioned them. What what is thirteen thirteen thirteen? Oh, uh, <laughs> well, thirteen. That was the. Uh, uh, the, the play I wrote for my seniors the last year that I was I was there with drama, and the concept was is that it sort of got kind of like political overtones a little bit here and there, or or tolerance tones, or however you want to say it. But the guy is building a a shelter because he decided everybody's saying the world's going to end twenty twelve or whatever it is they were saying. Yeah. And he said no, thirteen's an unlucky number, so it's going to end the thirteenth month. 13th day of the 13th year. Well, there's no 13th month. <laughs> right. So that that's January that's January 2014. Okay. Okay. <laughs> that was that was what he he was saying. Yeah. yeah. I, I looked at it like okay, I got to got to ask that question. <laughs> <laughs> and then the the other comedic play was I Zombie, is that how you pronounce that? Yeah, yeah, it was a play on the obviously on the word for the Z instead of using X and the, the character her name is Zombies Zombowski, and uh, the idea is that they're, you know, zombies are known of, not tolerated, and there's one guy who keeps wanting to, you know, de- deport them all. He doesn't want to kill them or catch them. He wants to deport them to zombie land or whatever he wants to do. And it's kind of a backward kind of fella. Uh, and it turns out that if they just, you know, eat the right kind of synthetic brains, I'm giving you the whole story here. Sure, sure. Then, then the virus goes away. And uh, I did that with my freshmen, and uh, their parents really liked that. My wife Karen says that's that's her favorite. I uh, I thought it was a, some some kind of new Apple product. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I saw that. Like, okay, what's Apple coming out with now? <laughs> <laughs> with Steve Jobs gone, who knows? Reminds me, uh, and so the comedy there was the. Uh, I don't know if you ever saw a TV show called Mad TV. Yeah, there were a few of them. They have a yeah. great, they have a great little sketch comedy skit where the guy is selling the latest uh, Apple product, and it's in Iraq. <laughs> I'll have to look for that one. I'm not and, familiar. And with it's that. all these things that are falling apart, and it's. <laughs> it's shel- it's shelving that he can't hold steady and it's, it's a pretty pretty funny deal um 
And so, yeah, you mentioned you've written, uh, you've, you've published one book that I can find easily. The other one I can't find as well. I guess it's a follow-on, but the first book is In Close Proximity. Okay, In Close Proximity uh, well, it was the first one I published that started off as kind of a collaboration with my brothers. Uh, they had some ideas, and since my youngest brother is uh, basically a rocket scientist, I mean, he works for NASA. Yeah. And uh, Paul, little brother, was, uh, and I, we were both flying for the airlines at the time, but we'd yeah. also both flown F 16s. And so he said, We got these three brothers, and, you know, they're being blackmailed, and, and uh, what do they do about it? And that was what that was, kind of an action thriller. The second one I wrote uh, is called uh, Higher Than the Angels, and it's about um, F-4 pilots, as you can imagine, F-4 pilots in Spain during that time when we had no wars going on. Okay. You know, uh, 79 to 84. And then the one that I'm trying to finish now, uh, I've and finished several times and said, no, that's not quite it yet. Cause I'll send it out to some cadet friends and I'll read it and go, they did this. What? And other <laughs> say, this is really good, but you know, you're, you're really getting a little long winded here. Cause I've tried to fill in too many vignettes about the Academy. Yeah. You know, so I, Karen says I should write a separate version of it. It's just for cadets who could understand why all that's important. All the acronyms. Yep. Yep. Uh, and so that, uh, Hopefully, I'll be done with that one pretty soon. And I'm trying to put them on Audible as well. So, And then do you have an editor for you, for your stuff? The uh, first editor I got was for uh, Nor Tolerate. And uh, she was really, really good. Gave me some good ideas and stuff. Uh, but then this COVID thing happened, and we decided to move from Florida up here to Huntsville, Alabama, and all of a sudden we were busy with a whole lot of other things and it slowed me down because I was going to work every day, you know, nine to five up here in the lonely writers, Garrett, trying to write these books. And uh, once the, I think the summer heat comes again this year, I'll be able to finish it this summer uh, the way I want it. And I'm starting an, another book on, uh, it's going to be about, uh, believe it or not, uh, Forensic speech and debate kids. Uh, who are, <laughs> we write what we know, right? <laughs> yeah, but it has to do with a school shooting and some other things. Oh, so. Okay. <clears throat> well, Charlie, that's fantastic. And so I, I think uh, there was the life after flying planes. And you're still flying too, right? Well, I haven't flown in a while. Uh, okay. Yeah, there's life after planes. You know, I think everybody should know that. You know, I'm into my fourth career. Uh, I don't know what I'll, I'll do next. Maybe I'll garden some. I don't know. But uh, no, I haven't flown an airplane in a long time. When I was flying uh, for Delta, you know, I was staying current, flying small airplanes as well as Delta airplanes. And when I started teaching school, I mean, we were we were scrambling all the time. My wife helped me through all those years. She was uh, my go-to girl. And it didn't help. Uh, I didn't hurt that my son was on the team, you know, for the next three years. So sure. uh, we got very, very busy. I mean, we were traveling almost every weekend to tournaments. Wow. And then when drama came along, on top of that, we had to go to regional and state tournaments with that as well. And the forensics tournaments lasted into June. Into June. 
So, and then they started again September the next year. So we were quite busy. And your teams, I assume your teams did pretty well. Uh, yeah, we were, we would, yeah, they did. They did. The kids were really sharp, smart kids. It's you being around Eglin Air Force Base. There's a lot of smart people there, you know, for the contractors and stuff and their kids were the same way. And even the ones who weren't involved with that Niceville was, that was one of the reasons why we moved to Niceville from South Florida, because it was a great academic school without having to go to, you know, private school or something. Yeah. And yeah, they would regularly, the kids would regularly win the, uh, the Catholic Critic League uh, uh, grand, grand finals down in Tampa. And uh, we would send, they fussed at us a lot because most of the teams were down there in Tampa and we were way up there in the Panhandle or the, up, up in Florida, the Panhandle. And they get fussed at us for coming down there and taking all their slots to go to nationals. <laughs> yeah. And then my, my last year there, uh, I, I had what six state champions, and then my last year there, I had a national champion. Wow! So, yeah. way way to go out on top. So, I'm I'm encouraged. I'm, I'm on my starting my third career, which is this you know, all right entertainment stuff. But um, I, I it's what what is it entertainment stuff? Whatever whatever I whatever I do with this uh, recording thing, if I if I take off and do other things, it'll I, I'm just going to lump it into something called entertainment. So my first well, career was military. My second career was business. And then third career will be entertainment. Well, good luck. I encourage you to go for it with all you got. Well, yeah. it's right now it's a hobby. It's fun. And I, and I, yeah. And I think uh, you're, you're another good example of this. Uh, we do, we Academy guys tend to do things in multiples. <laughs> that is very true. We don't just sit there and do one thing all the time. We, we kind of, and maybe that's, to our detriment at some point, but, uh, yeah. I don't know, but it's encouraging. I think to all the ones who are there now and the ones who want to go there to know that, you know, the, the world can open up to you. Uh, if it's not what, it's not your thing, you're, you're not in that, that mindset, then I wouldn't try to fit the square peg into the round hole. But if you are realize that, through all the hard things that you might have to do that whole world is going to open up to you that you can go pick so many multiple paths. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, that's a great, that's, that's the ultimate message in this uh, show today. (laughs) Okay. So look at that. We buried the lead. (laughs) Thanks, Charlie. Thanks. Thanks for doing this. I enjoyed it. Thank you very much for giving me the chance, John. And I look forward to meeting you in person sometime. We come out to, yeah. The Seattle is in my son again. All right. Sounds good. I'll call you up in just a minute. Okay.